Game on. Woo! I'm ready. Yoopity-yoop-boop-boop. Welcome to All Up In Your Business, the creative industry podcast where we dive deep inside the work that seems oh so glamorous from the outside. I'm Gabby Hall. And I'm Christine J. Fian, and we've combined forces to share our more than 20 years of expertise, research, and tips on how to make this whole creative journey worthwhile. Whether you're a writer, photographer, designer, developer, producer, or manager. Let's get into it. On today's episode, we're talking about career development in the creative industry. What are some of the inherent challenges and opportunities that exist within creative teams? And what does growth look like? I am thrilled to be talking about this topic. I think it's something you and I have talked about a lot on this side as we've both grown in our careers to figure out, you know, where do we want to go? What do we really want to be doing long term? Do we want to be in production? Do we want to be managing in strategy? What does that look like? And what does that look like across kind of creative verticals, whether it's advertising or journalism, what have you? So I'm really thrilled. I'm curious, how do you feel like your growth path has gone in the creative industry? I honestly feel like my career path has been accidental in so many ways because I knew what I was interested in initially. And I found that the longer I worked at something and demonstrated competence, then you start to get promoted and you kind of don't necessarily have any say in the direction you're going in. It's just, if you're working in a certain space, if you start out as a journalist, then maybe you end up becoming an editor And then after editor, senior editor, and like you just end up on this track. And then eventually you realize you're not actually writing anything anymore. You started out as a writer and then you're overseeing strategy and other writers and other creatives. And very little of your day-to-day work is focused on how do I produce a piece of copy? Has your situation been pretty similar, Gabby? Yeah, it's interesting. I don't feel like it's been random so much is more of like a learning of what I don't want to do. Because, you know, studying journalism in college, I really thought I wanted to be TV news. That's what I wanted to do. And then I got into advertising in an in-house agency. And then, you know, moving into ski racing media and working as a journalist, I realized as much as I love journalism, and I loved ski racing, it really wasn't what I wanted to do with my life long term. And so I made the choice to say that's not what I want to do. Let's try agency life. And so I actively pursued that route. And now I feel like I found my niche, but it took me three jobs, a lot of different job titles from social media coordinator to producer to editor to figure out, okay, now I feel like I'm kind of on the right path and in the right space doing enough like production and strategy, a lot of what I love. So that's been interesting. I think it's been more of a trial by error path than anything else. But that also involved like a shift between companies Mm -hmm. instead of necessarily staying within one organization and sort of riding that ladder out a little bit. But I think we'll get into a discussion of that a little bit later on today's episode. But, you know, one of the first things that people have to consider when they're entering the creative industry is you actually have a lot of options of different structures Mm -hmm. that you need to take into account and pretty early on decide like, is this passion that I have, or, you know, we talked a couple of weeks ago about passion and career. So even if you're not passionate, right, about the creative work you're doing, do you want it to be your full-time job or is it going to stay a side hustle? Yeah. I mean, you see a lot of people doing logo design or just freelance copywriting, writing blog posts for companies they're passionate about, that kind of thing. 
And that can be enough for some people because it is just a creative outlet on the side of their job that maybe pays the bills day to day. Going into the creative industry full time seems very, very glamorous. But as both of us know, it can also be a grind. I think with any full time position, especially when you're in salaried roles, it's easy to overextend hours and do all these things. We talked a lot about the passion tax, your point in that episode. And I think those two things go hand in hand. So the question is, do you do it as a side hustle, as a passion, as a creative outlet, or do you do it full time and really commit your life to it? And I think both of us have actually maintained side hustles while we've had full time mm-hmm. positions. And so I've always had my own content agency that when times were getting a little slower, maybe with full-time work, especially in the summertime, I could always turn up a few freelance projects and pump out that sort of work to keep the fire going in a space outside of my day-to-day work. And and Gabby, you could talk a little bit about your side hustle. Yeah. <laughs> my side hustle <laughs> is a fashion blog. It's called Here Goes Gabby. And you know, it's fun. It's like this whole other side of me because I worked in ski racing and I, you know, in an agency, I don't really work in the fashion and beauty industry, but it's something I'm really passionate about. So I spent a lot of time creating content on the side for that side hustle. And it's just a way for me to do something I'm passionate about on the side and kind of experiment with new media that's coming out, you know, Instagram reels, things like that. It's a chance for me to explore and experiment. And I really enjoy that part of the side hustle. Yeah, but once you've sort of settled on if you're going to pursue full-time work, the next question you're asking is, am I looking for a freelance where, you know, I'm going to manage myself and go after projects mm-hmm. and clients, or am I seeking a permanent position? And in this debate, it always seems like the grass is greener on the other side. The freelancers look at people in permanent roles and they're like, I wish I just had a steady income and I knew that I didn't have to go out and and make this grind to get new clients, get new work. Mm -hmm. And then people that are in permanent roles see the freelancers with all their like leisure time, flex time, and and they get to work at their own pace, or they they might have a pretty high hourly rate. Mm -hmm. There just seems to be camps that are jealous of each other all the time. 100%. I mean, it's so easy to say like the grass is greener in freelance because they can charge a higher rate, they can control their own schedules. Like maybe there's weeks you just don't want to work and you want to go on a family vacation. But then you go on a family vacation and it's not like there's PTO, which you have in a full-time position. And so you make all these trade-offs in terms of stability and flexibility. And I think you just kind of choose what kind of structure or lack of structure you're comfortable with. And there's definitely can be security in a full-time job. I wouldn't say agency life is notoriously super secure because clients ebb and flow, but it's a very personal debate. And I think you kind of have to try both to know what works best for you. I have always worked in a structured environment, but Christine, you've done a lot of freelance work. So I'm curious how you feel about the, the two different options. I don't think of myself as a salesperson. So it's quite challenging for me to handle freelancing when you're both dealing with deliverables uh, yourself, and then also trying to push for business development simultaneously Mm -hmm. and sort of striking that balance between going after new work and fresh work and making sure that you're delivering quality existing work that you've already sold. There always feels like there's a stress that I'm not sure is inherent in in a permanent position or even in an agency. Yeah, the the workflow can be quite high in an agency at many times, Mm -hmm. but... If you are just in a production position, it's not necessarily your job to care about the workflow continuing. 
after that project is over. And there's also this very fine balancing act of clients because, you know, you're trying to secure long-term high-paying clients, but if you have too few of them, you know, it's a major risk if one stops using you Mm -hmm. or their budget runs out or they're having some sort of financial issues. So, you know, you're always looking to to strike that fine balance between large clients and small clients and and making sure that the work is always going to be there so that you're getting a paycheck. Yeah, I mean, you make a really interesting point. I always say this about influencers too, but as a freelancer, you're basically your own micro agency. So you're doing everything. You're doing business development, you're doing contracting, you're doing the actual production of the work, the account management, all of that is happening simultaneously. And I often think freelancers don't get enough credit for that because it's not just about what they're producing. They have to manage their taxes differently. Like there's so much that goes into it. But interestingly enough, I noticed as of 2019, there was a report from Freelancing in America and 35% of the U.S. workforce is compromised to freelancers. So a lot of people are choosing this route and are choosing flexibility. I was actually surprised how big that number was. Yeah, I think across the entire labor force, it's becoming more of this long-term career choice. I think so much of that's driven by the flexibility. Mm -hmm. And when you have enough examples of people that are able to do it, then you know it's possible it can become much more appealing than a permanent position with standard work hours. But no matter if you're a freelancer or non-freelancer, you know, most people are still looking for the same things out of the work they're doing. They they want some security and some coverage. They want to be able to pay for health insurance. Mm -hmm. You know, eventually they're going to have to retire. They want fair wages for the work that they're doing. So sometimes it doesn't even matter if it's a freelance or non-freelance route, you still need to cover all of these bases. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we all have to put a roof over our heads either way. So whatever you choose, you're often looking at the, the same factors and you're just weighing, you know, what you can manage and accomplish. And I think once you decide, let's say you decide to go into a more corporate structure and not go freelance. Then there's a lot of opportunities to look at, do I want to be in-house with a company as a creative or do I want to be at an ad agency? And so ad agency, you might be thinking like Mad Men style where you're in a full-time creative team outside and you're working for clients like McDonald's and coming up with quippy headlines. In-house can be very similar, but in-house means you're tied to the company. So instead of working on multiple clients, you're working on one dedicated company and brand. And those are two different experiences, but both great creative routes with options to work with people of varied skills and expertise. And I've done both actually, and I've enjoyed both for different reasons. What do you think is the biggest benefit of agency work, Gabby? For me, agency work is the opportunity to be stimulated by your clients at all times. So on any given day, I might be writing B2B content, working on strategy for travel and tourism, working on print collateral in health and wellness. And so I'm working across all these different business collaterals. And that is in itself a different skill set to be able to jump between verticals, jump between voices. But I like that because it means there's never a dull day and you're never bored and there's always something new to learn. So I really like that about agency life. I guess on the opposing side, you know, with an in-house team, you get to be a lot more focused Mm -hmm. and it's a bit more of a deep dive into the organization. So you know the brand really well, you know the products and your quality standards, all the marketing goals and KPIs are quite clear to you. You don't need to go through that with every new project that you're working on. So 
there is a little bit more of sense of familiarity with what you're working on. And maybe for some people, if you're like a little ADHD, right, and you want to jump around and you don't want to get stuck in, in one industry or one set of keywords or, or taglines over and over again, and you want to be moving and uh, shifting, mm -hmm. then maybe that agency life that you're describing is, is ideal. And then someone that doesn't want to have to every two months start from the beginning or three months, you know, on, on certain assignments and have to learn everything about a new company. Maybe they just want to settle in a little bit and push themselves to create a wider breadth of content. In that case, I think in-house is, is a better route. Yeah, I really liked being in-house. When I was in that situation, I was working in social media and then I was working as a TV producer. And I do think there's tons of strengths to being in a company where you understand all of the players and know all the players. So, you know, a good agency is going to know their primary contacts, is going to know the decision makers, but you're not going to understand the structure as intimately as someone in-house. And that can present challenges. It, you know, it works great 99% of the time. When you're working in-house, you know that one person who's maybe not at the management level on the floor below you, and you can go to them and ask questions and get these deeper ideas that someone in an agency might not get because they just don't know everyone at the ground floor. So I think there's, as with all things, pros and cons to both working environments. I enjoyed both for different reasons, but it's something to consider, I think, just depending on how you work to your point, if you want to be jumping between clients or if you really want to dedicate yourself to one brand. And I think also like a great opportunity with in-house is even if you're with a single brand, if it's a product brand, then you're selling to customers. And then you also have the opportunity to interact with like third parties mm -hmm. and create content around that. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you're stuck only producing work for that one brand or that one company. It expands from there. So a lot of positions, especially with content marketing, if you have a sales outlet, you're going to want to have case studies and those are going to cover, you know, other businesses in the B2B space. Mm -hmm. So... There is like expansion possibilities and all, but fundamentally one is more inherently jumpy and the other is a little bit more inherently focused. Yeah, I like that jumpy. <laughs> That's a good way to describe <laughs> it. It's definitely accurate. Scat scatterbrained. <laughs> I don't know. But speaking of scatterbrained, have you seen or sort of noticed in a lot of job descriptions lately, this sort of like wide span demand for skill sets? that are ranging all the way from the highest level of strategy down to the minute, like detailed work of copywriting or social media management or video editing. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Let's open this can of worms. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like with the rise of kind of like social media in particular, when you look at social media, it's not just about having one skill set, right? It's writing, it's photography, it's video production, it's graphics, it's everything. And I think that plays into this idea that we now have these roles being created in the creative industry where you have to be able to do a lot of things. In many circumstances right now, when you look at a job description, you have someone who it'll be a video editor role, but they also want you to be able to edit podcasts and take photos. And I don't think that was the case maybe 20 years ago when you really honed a skill. When there were no podcasts. When there were no podcasts <laughs> and no Facebook. 
this weird time. I don't honestly remember much of it, but the Spice Girls were popular. And uh, <laughs> anyway, you saw these masters, right? People who really mastered photography and that was their thing. And you still have those today, but you still have to bring a lot of other skill sets to the table, whether it's content strategy or something else. And so we've reached this interesting period of time where it's very hard to be a true master and not be more of a jack of all trades and understand a lot of ins and outs. I'm curious, Christine, like what's the craziest job description you've ever seen? Well, I recently saw one in a higher ed role and it was for a digital content strategist. And the majority of the job description was going to be written content. But then they also wanted that writer to be able to source all of their own photos and then also produce videos and edit videos. And it was just an interesting job description because of the positioning initially. Like I never think somebody that is a specialist in writing is necessarily going to be able to edit video. Mm -hmm. They can write storyboards for video, right? But to think that they're going to be able to shoot and or edit video because they're a writer, you see it so much more often. It's just like this general content production, mm -hmm. right? Of, of any kind of digital content. But if you're looking for that, like how great is that content going to be? Or are you expecting that someone had a primary skill set and then they just signed up for a bunch of creative live courses mm -hmm. and watched some webinars and, and figured it out and said, okay, I can do this now. Right. Well, and there's one thing to say, like a writer, to your point, they might understand video. They might be able to shoot video on iPhone, but like the quality level matters, right? Too. Like, sure. I can go shoot video on like my Canon Rebel. It works just fine. Like it's probably a great social level of content. But if you're trying to run ads, if you want to get into TV, you need someone who understands like good camera quality, like good shooting, like how to stage an environment. There's so many skill sets that go into creating something of a certain quality. And when you ask someone to do everything, you lose some of that quality, I think. I guess the question for companies, from my perspective, is you can hire someone who maybe understands content writing and video production and understands all those things. And they should also be smart enough to know when they can't do something within their skill set and they need to hire someone outside to come in and shoot the video that they've wrote the script for or whatever it is. So companies need to be aware when they're writing job descriptions of how, how much quality do you need from someone to be able to do all those things and what's your emphasis in terms of quality? Yeah. I mean, in my position with the FIS, I was responsible for production of 80 some odd videos that needed to be scripted and storyboarded. And I was hosting, but I was not filming and I was not mm -hmm. editing. And a lot of times people will say, oh, but you have these video skills. It's like, yes, I have the ability to manage a video team mm -hmm. and make sure that the video is produced, but I'm not producing the video from start to finish by myself. In addition to setting the strategy of that production. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The expectations are high right now for people in the creative industry. I mean, it's crazy because <laughs> you even look at like interns, right? You look at internship roles, entry-level roles, and they say, this is an entry-level role. Please bring three to five years experience to the table. And I feel like this is a running joke, but it is true. You will see those job descriptions and you go, how am I supposed to go in at an entry level right out of college and bring three to five years of relevant experience. Not just like, oh, you've worked, we see that you have work ethic, but like, oh, you have done 
writing in a professional capacity <laughs> or design in a professional and a, capacity. And can present a portfolio. Yeah. And if you're studying design at the collegiate level, sure, from coursework that you've done, you're going to have a portfolio. Mm -hmm. But that's not necessarily a professional portfolio. That's a portfolio from your schoolwork. Mm -hmm. So it puts everyone in a challenging position, first of all, to have these job descriptions where 50 different skill sets are expected to be able to be implemented at any time. And then also that people are able to gain experience doing this somehow on a very high level in, in the professional industry. And yet maybe they can do it, but they haven't mm -hmm. applied it yet. I mean, you might know how to edit video, but you have not edited a video that is available to show somebody for a business. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, the question always becomes like, how do I get experience if I can't get hired because no one's going to hire anyone without any experience? And you just end up in this weird catch 22 and need a, a chance for you. Yeah. You need a job to get a job. 100%. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think part of that is changing the way we like, quote unquote, sell our experience. Because I think that was one of the biggest things I learned getting my first job out of college was how do you sell the experience you had, even maybe in like student organizations, but make it sound professional, right? Like we know student organizations are not often run in the way a corporate environment is, but that doesn't make your ideas any less legitimate or the work you did. And so figuring out like, how do I strategically position the work I have done to make it sound professional and like the way that I would want someone to view me as a professional, even if it was for your small campus publication. And so for anyone getting into the creative industry, this is post-college obviously, but anyone getting in the creative industry who doesn't have professional experience, consider how you can professionally share the work that you've done in college. Yeah. Because I know people as someone who has hired interns, there are interns who didn't have digital marketing, social media work on their resume, even though they had done it for their sorority or a club at school or anything like that. And it may not be the highest quality work in the world, but it shows that you understand the platforms. It shows that you're interested in those things. And so if you're only showing me the fact that you worked at a coffee shop, I can't see that you had all these other skill sets and your resume is immediately going to be put in the no pile. And so I think you have to be thinking about that positioning. But once we've moved beyond this like intern level and entry mm -hmm. level, I think quite early on in a career, it's good to ask yourself what direction you're looking to grow yep. in. This can shift, right? You can grow upwards. That's what most people think of, sort of this career ladder. But there's also outwards shifting, which I think you've done a little mm -hmm. bit of, Gabby. And maybe the most important thing, though, is something you gain through experience of trial and error, which is like, what do you want to do and what do you not yep. want to do? Yeah. I mean, I think you make an interesting point, too, that in that experiment of what do I want to do and what do I not want to do? There's two things I believe to be true. One, you have to be able to move and relocate and make sacrifices for your job. And two, sometimes that includes taking pay cuts. I know that's not a popular yeah. opinion because I think to your point, <laughs> people think of the corporate ladder and the idea is that you start and then you just continuously make more money and it's magical from there on out. <laughs> what I can tell you- Sign, sign me up for that yeah. ride. Where do I buy the ticket? I think you have to get into a, like, a much more bland industry than the creative industry to do that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but I fundamentally believe that I think- I was willing to move to New Hampshire, to Boston, even though I'm from the West Coast, for jobs, for career opportunities that I think I wanted to explore, right? I was passionate about exploring those things. I also took pay cuts 
from my first job to my second job, I took all, nearly a 50% pay cut. And that fucking <laughs> hurts my soul. But I also think it was totally worthwhile because now I know where I want to be. And so I think you have to look at growth to your point, not only as an upwards corporate ladder, but understanding what you do and don't want to do, especially if you can early in your career, because that's the time to learn and grow. Don't think your first job out of college is going to be your dream job. Go in saying, I want to learn as much as I can and figure out if this is something I want to do. And if you don't, then say, okay, I'm going to go pivot and try something else. You have the flexibility to do that. So that's my high horse preaching us so- for the episode. <laughs> I can't argue with uh, with your two points. I also think that something that is quite concerning is this lack of conformity that we see in the industry yeah. with regard to job titles. So yeah, you might have a strategist role or a production role, but then you also have like manager, director, VP, and, and you move on from there. And it's not that a director in one spot is equivalent to the type of work that a director is doing in another space. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And I see this the most at the position of manager mm-hmm. because manager can be, I'm managing content, I'm managing video, I'm managing photo. Mm-hmm. Manager can also be, I'm managing the people that are producing said you know, content. Mm-hmm. And so unlike some of these more boring corporate spaces you're describing, where someone asks what you do and you're, I'm a financial analyst or you know, I'm a consultant or I'm a senior director, like there is, I see very little conformity in the creative industry when we're looking at these higher, higher positioned job titles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you have it at the title level, you have it at the, even just description level, right? So content, does content yep. mean all content, including video writing or otherwise, does content just include writing for a website producer is producer handling the logistics of production or is a producer physically like producing work like writing or video and it makes it very hard to job hunt but also to be clear about where you want to grow I mean to your point it's like if I say I want to be a content director does content director mean the same to all people in all companies so if you're in the interview process and they ask where do you want to be in five years because we all love that question it doesn't necessarily mean the same thing to all people yeah it's freaking tough man (laughs) (laughs) oh but Actually, what's way tougher, (laughs) it's tough enough to sort through the job titles, but I think the single greatest challenge is when someone who started in a production position works their way up to become a manager of a creative Mm -hmm. team. And you were wearing a hat where you got really good at doing something. And at some point, someone said, you're so good at doing this, that now you're going to be in charge of people who do that. Even if that's not at all what you want to do. Right. But that's the natural natural growth mm-hmm. point. And there's something very specific about creatives. And, and not too many people know this, but like they actually are some of the most difficult people to work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can speak from experience. I'm very difficult. <laughs> not high maintenance difficult, but they hold themselves to standards that it's not necessarily typical in other employment mm-hmm. schemes. And, you know, they tend to have like a very intense curiosity they're highly interested in what they're doing to speak to episode one with the passion tax, mm-hmm. right? A lot of times they are incredibly passionate, but what they're mostly passionate about is that work and that profession, mm-hmm. not necessarily your organization, your agency, your company. Yeah. No, it's about like the work you're producing. It's about the art form, right? The 
incredible logo design or the illustrations or the animations or the cool taglines or whatever it is, but it's, it's so much more about the work you're producing. You know, working at an amazing company is obviously a huge bonus to that you need a company that's going to support that creativity. But yeah, it's, it's interesting being a writer. I'm so passionate about the art of writing and that's really what my career pursuit has been around. I'm curious if you feel the same way. I am, but I've shifted a little bit more into a mindset that you can never let perfect be the enemy of mm -hmm. good. And, you know, we need to move, you have to move content, you have to move your deliverables through, you don't have all the time in the yeah. world. And we also discussed this a little bit with that boundary setting, right? So you have to make sure that you're getting stuff done and it, it doesn't have to be the absolute best perfect tagline. Mm -hmm. But if you're a copywriter, you're trying to produce the absolute best, most perfect tagline that you can think mm -hmm. of. And that's where the rub is between, you know, the management and the creative team and the subtle skills that you need to develop as a manager so that you understand where your staff is coming from and what really matters to them. Yet you also understand the business case mm -hmm. and where that's coming into play as well. Yeah. Well, and I think you raise a good point. I mean, back to our original point, which is that creative managers or people who manage creatives aren't necessarily creatives themselves or don't have to be because people who are really, really good at what they do and like graphic design, writing, whatever it is, they may not want to manage people because they are all about the art form. And so the idea of managing people takes them away from what they're truly passionate about. And so I think businesses have to think about structures where you can still promote people and still recognize them for the incredible work that they're doing without making them manage people. Like, how do you give them more responsibility? How do you pay them more? How do you make sure that they're, yeah, being rewarded for the work that they do without saying, well, now you have to manage a bunch of people. And even though that's not your skill set, and that's going to take time away from what you're good at. You know, I like managing people. Watching my team succeed is a huge accomplishment for me. And so I enjoy moving in that direction between production and management, but it's not for everyone. You know, I have a colleague that had several years of work in copywriting and she was looking for a new challenge and she didn't want to become a manager. So she poured a lot of effort into learning more about UX writing and now she's a UX writer. So that's a little bit more of this outward mm -hmm. shift or a space where you can continue to challenge yourself and do something a little different, but you don't necessarily need to be managing people. Yeah, absolutely. I love that example because especially in this industry, it's changing all the time. And so you have to think, there's new platforms, new writing opportunities. I mean, UX writer is a fairly new concept in the industry. And so considering where, yeah, where can your skills take you that's new? Where is the industry, the digital landscape, just the world in general evolving? And how does that affect the profession that we have like in any creative role? I think it's super exciting in that way. Scary because it's always changing. So there's always something new to learn, but exciting nonetheless. <laughs> But the goal of our of our discussion today was to eventually sort of whittle this down to some key pieces of advice for listeners to take as they're exploring the potential for their growth mm -hmm. journey in the creative industry. And of all of what we've discussed, I think the most important question to ask yourself is no matter where you move, where is your creativity going to continue to shine? Mm -hmm. And that example, copywriter to UX writer, okay, your creativity is still going to shine copywriter to manager, maybe some shine's going to go away. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to lose that shine, you're going to lose the excitement for it, then it's maybe not necessarily worth the move just because it sounds like a traditional pathway. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think kind of the second question I would ask myself is 
the where, right? Where do you want to be and how do you want to do this creative job? Because on top of where is your creativity going to shine, you have to think about the location of that. So how important is stability to you? Do you want to go into an agency or in-house or can you take the risk and go freelance and start managing your own schedule and your own projects? And so I think that's a big piece of that opportunity to let your creativity shine and figuring out how do you work best and something I did not think about early enough in my career. So this is a, a warning to all that are starting out and can maybe take this advice in their in their 20s. I didn't think that much about long-term aspirations. I thought the path would unfold just as I went through and, and that doors would open and opportunities would open and I would just go through those open doors as as they were presented to me. And I think now in retrospect, it would have been helpful if I had thought one move ahead of the move I was making. So what what would my longer term aspirations be? And this can be like the five-year plan, but still when you're in your 20s and early 30s, a five-year plan still sort of sounds like, I hope I have a job in five years. <laughs> and it's more about if I'm moving upwards, am I moving upwards in the place where I would eventually want the job of the person who is my boss right now? And sort of seeing, okay, if I, if I take this, what is the track it's sending me on? And you can't always pivot, mm -hmm. right? You can make a change and, and get off that track and get onto a new one, but you don't want to necessarily accidentally chase a pathway that's leading you someplace you're not interested in going. 100%. I mean, a great example is a friend of mine at work. She started at the company as a digital marketing coordinator working in performance marketing. So SEM, SEO, all that good stuff. And then she found she just has an incredible knack for project management and like, totally kicks ass at it. And so she recently moved into a project manager role because she just realized that's where her passion lies. So don't be afraid to make a change if your aspirations change, or if you realize the thing you thought you wanted to do isn't that anymore. You're not stuck on a path. And with that, we're going to call it a wrap on episode three of All Up In Your Business. We're already halfway through season one. Can you believe it? We'll be coming to you next time with episode four, where we're going to get real about the cost of creative work. We're going to be talking all about the pitfalls of unpaid work, which I know we've all done, how to price your services, and the value of creative content, along with industry stories and personal examples of how we've handled these challenges in our own lives. If you're loving the podcast so far, please leave a review. We definitely need reviews right now. Share it with your friends or even slide into our DMs. We appreciate your support and all the awesome feedback so far. Until then, keep it creative.